everybody. Welcome back to a super special episode of Q-Tips. We are the Video Store Junkies, and we are here to bring you a few suggestions to watch over the weekend on streaming. And it's a super special episode because it's just me and Bill today. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Got rid of those other hosers. Yeah. Oh, man. People with lives. That's right. So, uh, as usual, we're going to jump right into this. I'm going to pass this over to you, Bill. Oh, what a shock. Oh, I, didn't, I wasn't prepared. I did not see that coming. Well, uh, my theme for today is vampires. And I'll start with one from 1971. It's called Countess Dracula. It's one of the later Hammer movies. This is when Hammer was beginning to circle the drain. And it's some of my... It's one of my favorite periods for Hammer because it's sad and tragic and they were throwing everything they could against the wall to make it stick. But the one-two punch of Night of the Living Dead and pretty soon uh, Exorcist kind of put the kibosh on their gothics. It just They just seemed, they didn't, it didn't seem to work anymore. Horror had changed and Hammer was not able to change with them and they were unable to get the distributing deals they used to so the budgets were noticeably lower. Um, this one stars Ingrid Pitt, who I love. Oh, I love Ingrid Pitt. Such a classy lady. Met her at a convention in New York. Uh, just super sweet. One of those people who met a billion people that day, but made every single one, including, you know, 11-year-old me, feel, uh, you know, super special. Um, Aww. Yeah, yeah. Peter Cushing was there, too. It was a magical moment. And uh, she was, she's great, and although I think she was dubbed. She didn't make enough stuff. She was in Vampire Lovers and, you know, a few other things. And in this one, this is based on Elizabeth Bathory, one of the most influential of the real people who may have inspired some of the classic vampires, the way Vlad the Impaler is said, nobody really knows for sure, to have inspired Dracula. This is 100% clearly inspired by Elizabeth Bathory, who was this noblewoman back in whatever, long time ago, uh, when they could get away with all kinds of shit. And she apparently believed that by hmm. bathing in the blood of virgins, she could uh, stay forever young. And she was a lord or a lady and uh, owned a castle, and there were lots of peasants. And a lot of these uh, women started disappearing. <gasps> and they found out, yeah, it took a long time, because, you know, what are you, you going to do? Go to the authorities? She is the authority. But eventually it all came out, hmm. and she was walled up, and the people she worked with were executed. So this is a highly fictionalized version of that where it actually works. She's an old hag. She bathes in the blood of virgins, and she turns into, uh, you know, Ingrid Pitt. <laughs> Damn. I mean, ah, okay. Sorry, right. virgins, but, I mean, you know, you can't argue with success. Yeah. It's also got one of my favorite actors from that time, <gasps> Nigel Green, who didn't do a lot of great stuff. I mean, he did a lot of great stuff, but most people don't know him. He played Hercules in uh, Jason and the Argonauts, and he played one of the soldiers in Zulu, two of the just rip-roaring best English films from the time. This guy had such a presence, and he plays like her confidant, uh, the guy who helps hide the bodies, literally. It's not great. It's directed by Peter uh, Sasty, who did did a few other things. He did the Taste the Blood of Dracula and um, Hands of the Ripper, which is an interesting one. It doesn't have quite the, it doesn't, well, it doesn't have anywhere near the style and panache of uh, Terrence Fisher's stuff, but it's still, it's still a fun movie. And what was really fun is I'm like 12 years old and they showed this at a double feature at, we had a, one theater in my hometown. It showed porn movies at night 
and showed kids um, <laughs> matinees on the weekend. So you got to see a double feature of horror movies, which literally looked like most of the time they were picked out of a hat. No rhyme or reason. Um, and then you got to see the posters for all kinds of interesting stuff, you know, with lots of uh, good reviews. You know, 100% says Al Goldstein. It's like, well, I guess he knows. Um, yeah, so that was interesting. And the thing is, our parents just dropped us off there thinking, oh, they'll get to see horror movies like I Was a Teenage Werewolf or uh, something with Bela Lugosi, perhaps. And this movie's got nudity and red blood, and we're watching it, and the whole we're all like kicking ourselves. Like they, our parents had no idea. We were just like so. We at first the first time we see some boobs, we're like whoa, and then we quickly shut up, shut, shut, shut up, shut up, shut up. The, the the people who sell tickets will hear us and realize that they have made a horrible, horrible mistake. And uh, yeah, so magical times. It was this and uh, Vampire Circus, which is even more of the same, only better. Good times. So I recommend it. It is on Shudder. And I will throw this to... Hmm. Hmm, 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 hmm. Oh, oh, Renee. Renee, you take it away. <laughs> well, I will. Thank you. So now you might be familiar with this phenomenon, having lived in New York, when when people would flush alligators, little baby pet alligators. Oh, yep. Yeah. No so, good will come of that. Yeah, no good will come of that. Because, you know, what are they supposed to eat when they're down there? You know, there's not a, there's not a whole lot to eat, but you know, maybe some discarded, homeless people. Yeah, <laughs> homeless people, or or maybe discarded remains from a from a facility that injected growth hormones into things, and, and then maybe, yeah. And then what do you know? You end up with a gigantic alligator, which is the name of the movie. Oh, I was going to say, what would you call a movie with that premise? <laughs> yeah. So this movie uh, is a movie that messed me up when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I don't remember when I saw it, but it came out, obviously, like, just right after I was born. And it, so I must have been very young when I saw it. Oh, my God. So, yeah, and I grew up, you know, having grown up in Florida, it, it's a real possibility that you could have a g- alligator in your swimming pool. Oh, yeah, I think it's the default expectation. It is. Oh my gosh. So this movie messed me up and uh and you know it's a little easier to watch now, but I still I think some of those moments still work on me. Oh my gosh. So I would like this movie to mess all of you up as well to experience the trauma that I did as a child. And uh yeah, this movie once again is called Alligator and you can watch it on Shudder and Pluto and Roku and AMC Plus. Now, now this this movie actually has a fairly impressive um, group of people behind it. It's it's directed by Louis Teague, who did uh, Jewel of the Nile and um, uh, Cujo, oh. among others. Oh. And but even more bizarrely, <laughs> it's and this is a low budget exploitation movie, as you've probably picked up from Renee's review. It was written by John Sayles, like one of the all-time great independent film screenwriter directors who's been nominated for all kinds of awards and everything. Um, uh, Return of the Secaucus 7. You know, he's, he's just, he's one of those artsy fartsy guys that uh, critics absolutely love. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, oh. he's, he's, you know, everyone's got to start somewhere. And I believe, I believe he also wrote John sales, John sales. Um, 
He may have he may have been the one who wrote the first and only good Howling movie. Oh. And I feel like he was involved with either Piranha or Piranha 2. <laughs> uh, so, so I mean, you know, he, he started out with like, you know, in the Roger Corman school of, you know, no one's going to give you a lot of money when you're writing your first script. And he wrote these cool things that are heads and tails above most stuff. I mean, Piranha's a good film, you know, it's got fun characters yeah. and stuff because he, he took his craft seriously. But he was just waiting for his chance to write uh, other stuff. But I love his exploitation. So, yeah, Alligator's definitely, you know, it's definitely heads and tails <laughs> above uh, most um, alligator alligator movies, which are, you know, they're usually not that good. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, I agree. Yeah. So, uh, so what's your next uh, recommendation? Well, my next one is kind of an odd one. No shock there. <laughs> um, so, okay. Jess Franco directed a hundred, as far as people have been able to figure out, 173 movies in a career that spanned some 50, almost 60 years. Of which I have enjoyed maybe three. Mm. I'm not a big Jess Franco fan. A lot, a lot of folks who are Jess Franco fans sort of compare his filmmaking to jazz. And I kind of get that because I don't really like jazz either. It, it, He's a he had talent. He is he was a talented filmmaker, but he was perfectly happy to just hack out some ridiculously non-budget things with uh, you know and and just had weird weird fetishes and stuff. Um, you know, just he he made everything from porno to whatever was hot at the time. Here comes a almost like a sweeted version <laughs> would come out. It's just. Yeah, some of his stuff is just so, so terrible. He made a couple of Fu Manchu movies mm. that did the impossible. They killed Fu Manchu. Ah. They uh, just killed the series dead. But, but, And yet there were people who liked working with him, like Klaus Kinski, Christopher Lee. So sometimes you'll actually see some interesting actors in here. And this one kind of stands out as, as a good example of what's good and bad about Franco. It's called Count Dracula from... Um, Oh, I believe it's 1970. And it's widely regarded as one of the, if not the most accurate adaptations from Bram Stoker's original novel, which is why uh -huh. Christopher Lee really wanted to do it. Christopher Lee spent most of his career uh, either doing Dracula for Hammer or declaring he was never going to do another Dracula for Hammer. <laughs> and, yeah, and it, it, it's bizarre because when you look, they kept making movies, vampire movies, with or without him, and... They would make ones without him, and they'd be really good. And then they, he'd like grudgingly, I guess you know, they met his paycheck, and he'd come back and do one. And a lot of times, the ones with him were not that great. He always complained that the dialogue was bad. Um, he wanted more of Bram Stoker's stuff. So when Jess Franco came and said, "Yeah, let's let's do it literally. Let's let's pretty much do it like the book," well, he jumped at the chance. And that part of it is pretty good. the The first, the opening half hour or so is really good. I mean, you've seen the story a million times. Dracula comes looking to make a land deal and Harker's there, but they use the act some of the actual lines or very close to the actual lines from the novel. And Lee is having a ball. He loves it, man. He's, he's clearly having fun. Just a good time. This is also one of the only ones I can think of that does what Bram Stoker did. Dracula starts out as an old man. And once he gets to England and starts feeding on the young blood there, he gets younger and younger as the movie goes on, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. So 
So all that's great. Um, but the problem is there was no budget here. There was no damn budget. They did have some good sets because it's filmed in Spain. Um, but there's nothing here. The, the scenes that, you know, were supposed to be action scenes, there's one just cracks you up where all they had were a bunch of stuffed animals. So they film it in a way that kind of sort of maybe implies that the stuffed animals have come to life. <laughs> but all it really is is zoom. Zoom lenses and moving the camera around. Franco was big on zooms, which I hate, and handheld cameras. Uh, again, that's kind of getting into the jazz thing. It's just so, so damn cheap. And by the time it gets to the end, it's like they ran out of money. It, ju- it just feels mm. that way. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of good in here. You feel like Franco, there's sort of a tragedy there that if maybe he had not made 173 films, maybe if he'd just done 73 films, cut out 100 porn or whatever, that maybe he would have been taken more seriously and given the opportunity to, to you know, do bigger budget things. But I don't know. I get the feeling if you gave him a good budget, he would have just made 10 low-budget films. Because <laughs> he just... He just liked making films. He just liked liked doing it, and um, mm-hmm. he did a lot of them. So I respect that, and mm-hmm. and you know I, I don't. If he was a hack, it wasn't for lack of talent. It was because he just liked doing it, and and just wanted to make the as many as he could. And you dilute yourself when you do that. But I don't know. Maybe he was happy. I mean, toward the end of his life, he was kind of recognized because who else has done that much stuff? People say, oh, he was like the Spanish Ed Wood. No, no, that's not true. Um, Mm. Yeah, he had more talent than Ed Wood, because Ed Wood had no talent. Ah. And yet, I would much rather watch an Ed Wood film than uh, (laughs) Jess Franco movies, you know, really. Because at least there's just that, that, I don't know, that unique quality. I've always said Ed Wood was a strange guy and that he had um, genius but no talent, which Mm. is a rare thing. Most people have talent but no genius but ed ed had to you know he was unique and that's why we still talk of him but uh yeah there it is it's uh it's in the public domain so it's all over the place but it's on tubi and an actually very good print of it is also available on youtube so there you go oh. if, you, if you gotta watch a just franco movie and you can't find some of his very very early ones like the awful dr orloff which is actually quite good um this is this is probably the one to look up. You know, it's got it's got a good performance and uh yeah, you know, it's pretty literate. And I will send this right back to you because what choice do I have? <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much. So, I'm going to stick with my alligator theme. And this is <laughs> a pretty good Oh god, how would I say gator exploitation film? But you know, this was kind of before things start like really started going off the rails with uh, these kind of movies. Mm. Yeah. So, and this is a good, yeah. a good old classic. It is Lake Placid from 1999. Oh, yeah. I love that movie. Yes. And starring um, Zach's lifelong crush, Betty White. And, and at watching this movie, you, you can see why it's his lifelong crush. Cause she's awesome in it. She is awesome. And she cares about the animals. That's, that's what's most important. Mm-hmm. So, yes, this very, it's just a very fun movie. It has Bridget Fonda and Bill Pullman and Oliver Platt and, of course, Betty White. And it's uh, basically this town that is dealing with a man-eater, <laughs> a very big alligator problem, to say the man-eater, least. Man-eater, cow-eater, whatever, whatever <laughs> it can eat, which is pretty much everything. 
everything. Oh God. And um, you know what I did not realize is that this movie apparently was the script was written by uh, David Kelly. Oh, wow. And uh, I tell you, I literally just read that. So that was a surprise to both of us. Oh my gosh. And directed by Stephen Miner, who did uh, Halloween oh. H2O. Oh, and Friday yeah. the 13th, two of them. Oh, wow. Friday the 13th, for it sure, all, yeah. All comes full circle. And pretty good effects, too. You know, it's it's not always easy to pull off. Uh, I've seen some of the big alligator movies. It's pretty obviously a hand <laughs> puppet or lately just dreadful CGI. Oh, dreadful. Yeah. It's getting pretty bad. And this one was good stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. And, and it's, of course, it's a it's a blast watching Betty White with her potty mouth. It is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a good, It's it was like a good quality, you know, gator exploitation mm-hmm. movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. So, yeah. Um, oh, and you can watch that. You can watch it on Tubi. Hey, Tubi. Yeah. So now here's the, the big question. Do you have anything to sing us out with? I do not, but I, I can share a, a little bit of information. Where it says the New York Times reports that the city of New York rescues 100 alligators per year some directly from homes where they're kept as illegal pets. Um, it is legal to order them in other states, probably Florida, probably. Um, and legal to mail when small. <gasps> For the weekend of June 2nd, Bill recommended Countess Dracula, available on Shudder, AMC Plus, and the Arrow Player, and Count Dracula, available on Tubi and YouTube, recommended alligator available on shutter pluto roku and amc plus and lake placid available on tubi you know when i was a kid every comic book would have that there were two things in there that i knew better than to to try to slip by my parents thank god one was the live baby alligator (laughs) and the other was the live monkey (laughs) god and and I've heard story now stories have come out about the monkey. It turns out my cousins actually got one, and it was the most horrible mistake you could make. They were actual oh monkeys. Sometimes they arrived alive. Sometimes, <laughs> if they did, they, the inside of the box was completely caked with monkey feces. And when you open the box, a terrified, hungry, shit-covered monkey leapt at your face and tried to claw your eyes out. Oh my god! That was the best case scenario. Uh, they couldn't be trained. They probably spread diseases that they would name after you from, you know, fresh from the rainforest to your house. So, uh, <laughs> also, according to this, New York Times says that um, scapees and former pets may survive in a short time in the New York sewers. Longer term survival is not possible due to low temperatures and the bacteria in human feces. Sewer maintenance crews insist that there is no underground population. That's what they would say. Yeah. <laughs> it is what they would say. <laughs>